Uh, can I, I'm going to, um, Taylor, I'm going to let you get back to your acceptance speech here in a minute, but I want to, uh, Beyonce had the greatest music video. So I want to talk about the thing I just said here about, um, the GDP for government spending, because I was actually wrong. And I, yeah. I don't, I, I want to actually, I'm okay. Correcting in real time. Are you cool with that really fast? Cause this is actually yep. scary as shit. Huh. Um, so this is going to sound crazy, but actually, uh, GDP, U.S. or government spending as part of a uh, percentage of the GDP declined rapidly uh, starting in, in 2016. Um, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018 went real down. 2019, that 36% number I gave represents like an enormous low, an enormous low over the last 50 years, that, five that zero. Fascist Nazi as president that we had during that yeah, time that, that is just Nazi. following following the path of Hitler, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. in 1971, uh, it was about 35%, it looks like. Um, so actually, here's what it does is it goes like this, and then it goes like this. And then during the Reagan years, it kind of goes up and does this because, I mean, that, that book, The Age of Entitlement, I've referenced before. He absolutely talks about how Reagan blew out spending. He was not some fiscal conservative, you know, and for him to be hoisted up is like the the thing for conservatives to mimic, I think, is, is ludicrous, at least when it comes to spending. Um, and so I think that's actually a, a pretty valid argument. And then at the beginning of the 90s, it starts to go up and then it starts going down again um, because the Republicans in the House and the Senate actually forced Clinton to balance the budget. So fair enough. It drops down to this crazy low 35% um, in 2000 goes up in 2010. It hits about 39%. That's the high or actually, no, that's, that looks closer to maybe 42 in 2020 government spending as part of the U S GDP was 44% of our economy in 2020 and understand that they want to spend more. What was that bullshit infrastructure plan? Everything's infrastructure, you know, the, the common good. Um, they want to spend more. And so I, I'm, I'm only saying this not just to say, well, hey, I was wrong about this. Yeah, it goes like this. Um, but is that they control more than what I, what I even thought. I, I was like, oh, 36%. That's crazy. Yeah, 44% last year. Last year. And this year, it's going to be even more. I bet you it goes up to 46 47%. I'm sorry, what was Germany? At, 53. Uh, 53? Yeah. How far away are that or from that are we? And I'm not saying that like, oh, this percentage equals Nazism, just saying like you said, and what we have been saying is that the point is, is that when the government controls, again, TLDR, here's the cliff notes. When the government controls a huge chunk of the economy, they control the economy. That's the point, right? You have four seats in a car. Someone only needs to sit in one of those to steer the whole car. That's the driver's seat. So you don't have to control all of those seats. You don't have to control the whole economy in order for you to be what's effectively in charge of the economy. And that's everyone's lives. You have to think about what, how, what does the government think about this before you make any of these decisions, right? And so that, that's, that's the point that I'm trying to make. That's the point that when it's that big, it effectively controls everything. Yeah, it effectively controls everything. Sorry to, to deviate. No, there, but I think no. Uh, Hitler's sure. Germany did not start overnight and it didn't even start. Correct. It didn't even start with him necessarily. Yep. yep. Um, we need to understand the trends that these tyrannical countries, these tyrannical governments have gone to get there. And this is Hayek's whole mm -hmm. point of this book is to say, 
England was like, oh, we're not going to turn into Germany. Like, we're not even close to that. It's like, okay, look at where we're at right now compared What's to Germany was on? 30 years ago. And now even you bringing up the, the those statistics is like, okay, people should probably take note of the, the projection in which we're going on. And you find this kind of, you know, this catalyst um, that, you know, has a drastic increase in, in, in tyranny or totalitarianism and drastic decrease in individual freedom. Uh, you could say something like COVID, although a serious crisis, uh, seems to be a crisis that hasn't gone to waste. I don't know if that 44% number that you cited in 2020, it's scary. You can always say, well, that's because of COVID. Well, are we going to say that in 10 years when that number kind of stays there or goes up because they're using 2009, that as 2009, it was close. Yeah. In 2009, it was close from the housing thing that they also created. And that's the point that, that you're making there. It's that they will find a thing. It won't go to waste. Like yeah. you said, it won't go. I mean, that's the Rahm Emanuel quote. It won't go to waste. Yeah. They will come up with anything. And by the way, before COVID, what were they saying? Climate, right? Yeah. Climate, race, all these things. You know, and so they they will find any excuse that they can, plastic straws, you know, who you know, pick some. And so they will find any excuse to consolidate power, any threat, that's the analogies of war that they will use to consolidate that. And there's no guardrails on it. There's no guardrails on it. All right. All right. All right. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. Uh, that was perfect. <laughs> um, so this next section actually gets starts to tie things in together. It goes to the common welfare, but also talks more about agreement and how there must be forced agreement when they find out that there's no way that they're going to be agreeing on, on the ends of all these things. So, I, I Which quote like are you looking at here? Um, how does it the, start? It is not difficult to see. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll read that, man. Like you've, you've read all these quotes, man. I'll, I'll read yeah. it. Um, it is not difficult to see what we what must be the consequences when democracy embarks upon a course of planning, which in its execution requires more agreement than in fact exists. The people may have agreed upon a, adopting a system of direct economy because they have been convinced that it will produce great prosperity. In the discussions leading to the decision, the goal of planning will have been described by such term as common welfare, which only conceals the absence of real agreement on the ends of planning, as mentioned earlier. Agreement will, in fact, exist only on the mechanism to be used. So the mechanism being planning, gaining that control. But it is a mechanism which can be used only for a common end. And the question of the precise goal toward which all activity is to be directed will arise as soon as the executive power has to translate the demand for a single plan into a particular plan. So there's a difference. We need a plan is very different than here's the plan. Then it will appear that the agreement on the desirability of planning is not supported by agreement on the ends the plan is to serve. Where are we going, guys? The effect of the people's agreeing that there must be central planning without agreeing on the ends will be rather as if a group of people were to commit themselves to take a journey together without agreeing where they want to go, with the result that they may have all to, uh, that they may all have to make a journey which most of them do not want at all. That planning creates a situation in which it is necessary for us to agree on a much larger number of topics than we've been used to, namely everything in most of these cases, and that in a planned system, we cannot confine collective action to the tasks on which we can agree, but are forced to produce agreement. So produce, manufacture agreement, Noam Chomsky, manufacture consent, anyway, on everything in order that any action can be taken at all is one of the features which contributes 
more than most to determine the character of a planned system. So when he talks about character there, he's saying what it's like, what it's like. And the fact that you can't, again, consensus versus coercion. The character is you can't get consensus. You won't. This is the argument we've been trying to build. So to recap for the folks at home, um, you have to pick, right? People get to plan their own lives and you just let them free, let them loose to do that. Or you have these philosopher kings or whoever telling people how to do it, right? Telling them how to do it. And what Hayek is saying is you won't get consensus. You, you might get all these people saying we want to plan. That's again, his, we want to go on a trip. We want to go on a vacation. And then you, you get there and some people were like, well, I want to go to the beach and I want to go here and I want to go here. And it's like, well, we're all at the gulag. So I guess at least let's take some photos and enjoy the stay. But, but anyway, but the point is, is that like, you can't get consensus. And in the absence of consensus, you have to either, you have to do one of two things. And so we, you know, and we'll talk about this later. We can transition there you know, if you want, whatever. But if you do one of two things, you have to relinquish the power and, the, and give the autonomy back to the people. Or you have to use coercion to make sure that they, you know, that you have to silence the dissidents, right? That's what coercion is. And I mentioned Noam Chomsky, that manufacturing consent. But the, the point is, is you have to use propaganda. Hayek talks about the use of propaganda. One of the chapters later is called the end of truth. Talk about prescience, right, guys? Fake news much. And so, but the point is, is that you're going to have to use means that are unethical that are evil, and that's why he says most socialists wouldn't agree to this if they saw what they'd have to do um, in order to get people on board with your plan, your plan. Or you have to give the power back, which you're not going to do. And that, and the, I mean, the, the stuff where he talks about that here and the quotes from that Dunamore committee and stuff about like, well, if we lose an election, we got to make sure that you don't, you know, actually do the will of the people, you know, mm -hmm. who voted us out of power. Um, it's very prescient. Yeah, that's right. Uh, stop our progress that the people don't want uh, is very prescient for, for today. So anyway, I don't know what you, what you want to do with that. Yeah. I mean, I, I love, um, again, the way that he implements, again, the the theme of collective welfare uh, back into here because, you know, that's a term that's only implemented when there is no uh, general consensus or, or agreement on a policy or collective uh, action. Um, and to me, it reminds me a lot of the the phrase that I kind of hate is common sense. Uh, common mm. sense is most is implemented common only when form. only when yeah only when the sense of things is not common to most people. If it were common sense, you don't have to say it's common sense. It would be yep. common sense, right? Uh, common welfare is a statement that you don't have to use normally because people are like, okay, yeah, I know murder is a bad thing uh, because you know I prefer not to get murdered or feel like I'm always at the risk of getting murdered. It's kind of it's common sense. It's common welfare. Like we don't do these things. But when someone has to state like, oh no, don't if you don't agree with this, it's for the common welfare. It's for for all these different things. Uh, that is a way of of sidestepping the agreement part and just saying this is for the general good of society and you yep. know we're gonna we're either gonna say you have to agree with this and if you don't agree with this we're just gonna claim that you're you're against common welfare um and then you know there, there's also you know a large space of agreement where we we can agree on general circumstances that must be improved you know you think about racial disparities uh, income inequality but propose policies to fix those inequities uh 
don't tend to gar- garner much popular agreement, especially when those policies require more centralized power, resulting in less individual freedom. But again, if you don't, if you say, I don't want to do this type of uh, redistribution of income, your claim to hate the poor and love the rich, right? That's that's always the yep. claim there. So um, they really use that yep. right as an attack, which I believe he brought up in an earlier chapter as well. Um, but where we can agree on a centralized authority can improve the situation. We rarely agree on the ends of that situation. So um, when a power authority wants to implement, uh, you know, something big. So an, an example of this is if we generally agree, which I think we all generally agree on that we we should take care of the environment. You know, it's a beneficial to everyone to take care of the environment. We agree on that central idea. But when they implement a policy, let's say the, the Green New Deal, uh, that forces us. Uh, to agree on the actual ends, exactly how we're going to protect the economy at any cost. And now a lot of us don't agree with that. And they're like, well, if this is implemented, uh, we're going to force that you agree with it. Because if you don't agree with it, we're going to find you, we're going to do it, we're going to jail you. Um, there's all these different things we can do to you because the centralized authority now has the power to do those things. They have the power to coerce, yep. they have the power to to produce agreement by force. Yeah, and that's and that's the point, and what we'll get to here, or maybe you know, it's a good time to get there. You know, one of the things. So today, whenever I was working and I was thinking about this, um, you know, I texted you because I, I was like, it's faster to just text Kevin than to write this down in the Google Doc. Um, but I said, decreased probability of agreement leads to increased necessity of coercion. And again, you know, this is one of those things. You know, I I know this is redundant, but but I'm okay with it because. There's a few central themes to this book, and one of them, again, is what Hayek, he wrote a a thing later on called the fatal conceit, and the fatal conceit of socialism is that you will not get consensus, and since you don't have consensus, you'll have to use coercion, and understand that coercion is force. It's force. It's forcing you to do these things, and and the government has a monopoly on violence, on force. That is what what it does. Um, that's the quote, right? The government has a monopoly on violence. And so like the fact that we have to be in a situation or in a, um, yeah, some kind of dichotomy between choosing, um, well, the government or whoever's at the top between giving you've got these people who, you know, to, to go back, refer to the Adam Smith quote at the beginning, where it's like, no one is more dangerous than the person who has folly enough to think that they can do this. Right. So you have the person who has folly enough to think that they can do this, which mainly, and I'm just going to say it, is that the, the people on the left, this is what the left represents. They have the folly enough to think that they can do this. Um, and we're seeing this play out right now with the, all the policies. You know, I stumbled upon this account yesterday on Twitter called Is This Infrastructure? And it's got this picture of Joe Biden. It's not like a picture. It's just like him looking confused, which is that's Joe Biden. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, the modern left is we're going to control everything. We're going to run everything and we're going to, and we'll call it infrastructure, call it whatever we have to need to, but we have the folly to think that we can do this, that we, to think that we can do this, that we're the morally enlightened. We, we, Hey, we do have agreed upon ethical code, right? And, and it's our, it's our ethical code and you need to get in line and get involved and get behind us in that. And Hayek is saying, you're not going to get consensus. And so you're going to have to use these means. So whenever I say coercion, you know, they do all the things like, look at what is, I mean, the, the bullying, the moralizing, you know, that you mentioned earlier, it's like, they will call you whatever they need to call you to get you to shut up. Understand that when they say you're racist or that you're a bigot or you don't care about these people, that is a form of coercion. They are shutting you down. They're delegitimizing your dissent in their dumbass plan. Right. And so that is what we're looking at here. 
And this is only increased. This has only gotten worse. That that's the fatal conceit is that you have people. And by the way, I think it's fair to say that the people who are actually in charge right now, like, I think there was a time when the people who went down this road, like think about Bernie Sanders, you know, in the early eighties, you know, you know, he honeymooned in the Soviet Union, Ben Shapiro likes to make jokes about it. I think Bernie Sanders probably thought this was right and moral and good. You know, I don't think that Bernie Sanders had a lot of malice. You know, I don't think he, I think he's the person, I I think he is. I'm not sure if he is now. I think he just is because he has to be at his age. But, you know, whenever Hayek talks about the socialists that would say, I'm out, whenever they saw what their ideology creates, I think Sanders is one of them. But today, I think most of the people, they know, I think they know. And the people who are the ones who are naive about it are the ones on the ground, not the ones in charge. I have people in my mind who I'm like, they really think this would make the world a better place. They're wrong. But their heart's in the right place. I think AOC's at that stage. I, I, I truly, we I, I strongly she, disagree on that. I so disagree. Yeah, no, I think yeah. she knows damn well exactly where all of her ideas go. Personally, I don't. I, I don't know if she's mature enough or has the capacity to know at this point. And I'm, I'm trying to does. say this as nice as I can. And I don't think she's a complete moron. But like I always say, like if, if there should be a poster child for free college, she should be it because she went to a university, got a degree, and learned nothing. So that is like yeah. the perfect example of someone who should get free college. But um, yeah, agree to disagree on that one. Um, but yes, yeah, I do generally agree that there are these true believers, the people um, who truly think they're doing what's right. You know, I would say it's Bernie Sanders, or at least was Bernie Sanders. I well, agree with you now. Real fast, real fast. Yeah. Hold on. My, my point is, is that I don't think that those are the people at the top anymore. The people at the top now, under whoever is in control of our government and who is in control of these things know that know what where this goes they know this is coercion and so mm-hmm. that's why i'm saying when you look at the racial the language the racial like you know whatever it is and the moralizing that's on purpose i think that that type of demagoguery and you know uh, like asserting some kind of moral high ground you know authority there i think that's on purpose and then the people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis are mirroring what they're hearing um, and they believe it but just like the people on you know who see the way that these people interact, you know, you know, Twitter is the, is the play, you know, or whatever Bridget Fetis's analogy was like, this happens on both the left and the right. But my point is, is I think the people in charge, especially those who are, who are using this language that's emotionally abusive to silence people, that's the coercion that Hayek is talking about. So going to mapping this onto today, I guess there are true believers, but I think that the true believers are the ones on the ground. They're not the ones at the top, the ones at the top, are like no use these words this is why dude you you'll get it this is where i have the uh, install all the apps on your phone install washington post new york times um cnn msnbc nbc npr and see what happens and huffington post and whenever something happens and you will see that their headlines for events are fucking identical there's a reason for that it is a form of coercion because there is not consensus on these things and so they have to do something with dissent you and i are dissent so they have to bully us into dissent. So, I mean, yes, there are true believers. Um, but my the point I was trying to get at is that the true believers, I don't think, are at the top anymore. Whereas when Hayek was writing, I think a lot of them were at the top. The people in the labor government, mm-hmm. the Dunmore committee he mentions, um, whoever the one guy, Alfred's, I don't know what his name is, uh, Alasky, Simon Alasky or whatever. Yeah. Um, I have it right yeah. here. 
Uh, uh, Harold like Lasky. He's a yeah, true believer. Lasky, yeah, yeah. But yeah, so uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. That I think in a, I think actually Bernie Sanders is more of an aberration than anything else. I think sure. more common is the Nancy Pelosi that you can tell mm, when she's yep. making excuses for things that she's just like an evil dirtbag like that. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't say that lightly. I don't think most people. I don't think Bond villains really exist in the real world except for extremely rare circumstances. I actually think she is. She could be if she was a thousand years younger could be in the next bond movie is the bond villain. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe like a thousand five hundred years younger, but, exactly. um, but yeah, yeah, we totally agree on that point, but I, I think we do need to start moving through it. Like I'm going to start paraphrasing yeah, yeah. some of these quotes just because uh, I mean, probably should one, one episode in this two hour stretch is uh, or one chapter in this two hour stretch is already cutting it close. But again, like terrific, terrific. We can't do this chapter justice with, with how much we're covering yep. here. Um, but to get to the kind of the next part, he talks about, uh, you know, that next stage that we did talk about in a previous chapter when going to the experts, um, when uh, especially these these ineffective governing bodies say, OK, we can't do this stuff efficiently enough. So we're going to have to elect this or, or implement this bureaucracy to kind of do the stuff that we don't want to do or don't want to be culpable for, um, because that'll just that'll kind of institute all of these changes that we want to make. So going to the next quote, parliaments or really any Democratic governing body come to be regarded as ineffective talking shops, unable to unable or incompetent to carry out the tasks for which they have been cho- they have been chosen the conviction grows that if if efficient planning is to be done the direction must be taken out of politics and placed in the hands of experts permanent officials mm-hmm. or independent autonomous bodies so that is where we get into that the 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 next step and, and how many times have we heard as americans that congress is too lazy or they don't agree on anything don't get most american yeah but most americans don't know that that is a feature of a democratic republic with yep. checks and balances not a bug and the problem yep. is we're all like you know most americans are like no we want to see people agreeing we want to see bipartisanship we all want to get this done efficiently when that's not how the system's set up you want to be in as inefficient as possible but when congress or the president calls for more planning to fix an issue, but they're not willing to give up, but they are all too willing, all too willing to give up their authority to a more permanent unelected bureaucracy. That's where the experts come in. That's where the real problem begins. That's where these people who are focused on this one thing uh, get to implement all their ideas at the expense of, of everything else. That all these other scale of values are going to ignore this and only only implement their scale, their, their top value. Um, and this is explicitly intentionally moves democracy towards totalitarianism and moves us down the road to serfdom. You know, a lot of the people on the left saying, oh, you're you're attacking our democracy when they're actually meaning the exact opposite is a no, we want we want to get rid of this democratic system and we want to implement this bureaucracy. You know, I always think uh, Department of, of Education as this one thing that we cannot get rid of that is just there. And that was something that was implemented and now has full control uh, over how we teach our kids, basically. Yep. And so, um, yeah, there's a few things there. Sorry, I'm trying to think of how, okay, how do we, what you just said about how it's a, it's a feature, not a bug that our government moves so slowly. I'm not sure that could be overemphasized enough because here's the, here's the thing. What are you saying when it doesn't, it's not getting anything done? Well, it's not doing anything. Well, Mm -hmm. what's the opposite of that is it's doing stuff. Okay. What should it be doing as decided by who? Using what values after speaking to who? Like, the, we have a system that is designed to facilitate gridlock. Gridlock is another way of saying that it's not doing anything. And the fact that our system is designed in a way that it's like, you're not going to get consensus on most things. That's the point. 
the times when you can get something done is when there is consensus on most things. Like the system we have is the opposite of what the, the collectivists want in what Hayek is describing, right? It is that it will only happen when there's consensus on most of these things. Gridlock is not enough people agree, so we're not going to do it. Period. Yeah, yeah. The German government in the 1930s and 40s was very efficient at the unfortunate cost of a lot of people. Exactly. Efficiency is a word. It's like okay, a serial killer can be efficient, right? Efficiency just means that you are well efficient, quick, you know, uh, industrious. You know, you don't high quality at a high speed, not wasteful. Yeah, high quality, high speed at what you do. It has nothing to do with with the morality or necessity of what you're doing. It's just how you're doing it. And so the people who say, well, the government isn't efficient here. It's like, no, it's incredibly efficient at creating gridlock. Gridlock is a good thing because it means what gridlock um, denotes is that there is not consensus here. And so one of the things that people, so let's to map this last part here onto today. So Joe Manchin in the news all the time, Right, because he's the Democrat who's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna end the filibuster. And one of the things that Hayek talks about here and in other places is that look, so to create a through line through this chapter is in order. So planning says people doing their own thing is chaos. So we need someone or some group of enlightened whatevers telling people what to do, organizing everyone. All right. And we'll call it the, the common good or the common welfare or it's human right or whatever. One of the reasons we do this, and well, first off, this presupposes that everyone agrees on everything. And then once we realize not everyone agrees on everything, in fact, everyone disagrees on most things. Um, so it's the exact opposite. Um, so when you get into that, that scenario, you're, the odds of someone turning back is virtually zero. So they're going to have to come up with ways to deal with that dissent. That's what, where coercion comes in. But one of the ways that they can deal with that dissent is to just – is to make ad adaptations to the governing system to make it to where the dissent is irrelevant. The dissent is not represented is another way of saying that. So Great Britain at the time, that's the parliament was, and the United States, these are representative countries where those in charge are representative or supposed to be of the population. And so one of the things that Soul get or not Soul, I see your poster here, it got me that Hyatt gets into here is well, what do you how do you avoid representation? You change the governmental system. You change it. And so you make it where representation is actually not part of the math. And so you what do you do there? People so to map this on today, you delegate to bureaucracies, unelected officials, these bureaucracies, these experts, like you mentioned earlier, you know, Fauci or whatever. Um so you delegate them to bureaucracies, the decisions. So then the parliament becomes, hey, it's not us. It's not us. Again, I think I mentioned this before. EPA was created by executive order, right? How powerful is the EPA today? Pretty damn powerful. You know, uh, the, the Department of Education was, I mean, same thing. Totally immoral. This is a cabinet-level position, right? How much power does the Department of Education have today over how many lives? So, so much power and influence, Right. So he's saying, here's one of the ways that you deal with the lack of consensus is you delegate to these bureaucracies. And that's not inherently a bad thing 
if that bureaucracy has a, a goal that's stated on the outset. So he gives the example of a general in this chapter. He's like, look, the military is a bureaucracy. You have a general in a war who has a goal. Hey, we need to beat those guys. The end, right? We know what victory looks like. Efficiency uh, is a priority and gridlock is not. So Exactly. No, no, that's exactly right. Yep. No, no, that, that's a very good point, Kevin. And so the, the point is, is he's saying, look, just by giving it to bureaucracies isn't a bad thing in and of itself if there's a clearly stated goal and there's guardrails there, okay? So with the general, it's like, yeah, no, we're all going to rally around this thing. We're going to beat these bad guys and go back to our lives. But he's saying that's not the thing that happens with these bureaucracies because he used this vague language here. And so we can circumvent the need for representation with our systems here to go to that, you know, the article I read before we got started um, where the guy was like, hey, this applies in Great Britain and here. That what you see happening, what Hayek is talking about, the bureaucracies in Great Britain, that's, <laughs> that's here. That's here. That's here. And so that's one of the things that they do to circumvent that there. And so I don't know if you want to get into that footnote there when it talks about the permits of this stuff because this is one of the things I, I want to spend a little bit of time on before we end. Maybe this is the thing we end on. But about how they, they make it to – they don't care about democracy democracy they don't care about like con consensus or anything like that they just care about power and getting their shit done and so they'll do whatever they need to do there including like completely throwing all of the principles that um like you said are features not bugs that require consensus to do things out the window so the filibuster like i said joe manchin earlier He's one of the Democrats. It's like, I'm not going to get rid of the filibuster, but he's mentioned now that he's open to it. We're pretty early in this administration, guys. We're pretty early, okay? Yeah. So the odds of us moving more and more towards that, of getting rid of these types of things that kind of actually keep the tyranny of a some plurality or minority at bay, um, those things are being removed. And this is the thing Hayek, this is one of the things, like I said at the beginning of the video, that Hayek touched on you know, and, and noticed uh, trending in that direction in the West, you know, oh, I don't know, 80 years ago. Um, yeah. I mean, we're early in this administration, but how awesome is it to be Joe Biden right now? You get to wake up every morning and you're told your president it's news to you. So, um, right. You're like, oh shit. You're like Drew Barrymore <laughs> in 51st dates. Yeah, right. uh, it's pretty amazing. But I think that footnote you're talking about is the Lasky footnote. Um, yep. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just introduce Lasky here and I'm going to paraphrase a lot of, of what's, what's going down here. But so the next section, he dives into the process of turning democracy into a bureaucracy and an argument made by English uh, political theorist and Labor Party economist, Professor Harold Lasky. Uh, and as we kind of search his background right before talking, big fan of communism, Marxism, all that fun yep. stuff. So Loved uh, it. yeah, yeah. Super Stalin, influential love guy. Stalin. Yeah. Uh, AKA is just, you know, a, a labor party. So um, is what it is. But so, <laughs> so to go to the, kind of the bottom of, of one of his quote, and I'm going to go into the next paragraph as well as uh, quote, right. and this is Lasky's quote, the necessity and value of de delegated legislation, which just means uh, power given to an unelected body delegated to, to a different legislature has recently been strongly affirmed by the Dunamore committee. And its extension is inevitable if the process of socialization is not to be wrecked by normal methods of obstruction i.e. checks and balances, which yep. existing parliamentary procedure sanctions. So we already see them trying to bypass all this stuff. And then I'm just going to go into the next mm -hmm. quote. Uh, and to make it quite clear that the socialist government must not allow itself to, to be too much fettered by democratic procedure, Professor Lasky at the end of the same article raised the question whether in a period of transition to socialism, a labor government can risk 
risk the overthrow of its measurements as a result of the next general election. He left that, uh, that question significantly unanswered. So yep. they've they already given it away here. Not only uh, do they not really appreciate uh, that gridlock that comes with democracy to make sure that we're, we're slowly moving in the right direction instead of quickly progressing in some random direction or direction of one authoritarian. They also let, let you understand that you can use the powers of democracy to destroy itself. Once you are democratically elected, you get in there and now if you are powerful enough and you institute the right planning, you can try, the people might vote you out next election cycle and you're like, no, that doesn't count. Have we seen this happen yep. recently? A few times, I want to say. A little bit. Right? Yeah, a little bit. Putin's been there for a while. I don't know. All the, I mean, it's it's unfortunate for for Russia because all of his opponents get sick, and you know that sucks. I get. I think you get the cold goes around up there a little I bit, know. I guess, and, and poison in, yeah. in the. Uh, uh, but China, I mean, there's a long list of, of totalitarian governments that have implemented policies just like this, where you see these presidents yep. last a lot longer than they're supposed to. Yeah, and and so to put a fine point on that, um, you know what what he gets into here. So to kind of you know, go through the, the themes of this chapter is where he's like, look, planning and democracy are at odds, just like individualism, collectivism were in chapter three. And so here are the, here are the, the issues consensus. I'm take a shot every time uh, Truman says consensus in this video. Um, anyway, but so don't you have to die. get around. You will absolutely die um, unless you're me and you'll just get a slight buzz. And so, but the point is, is that you won't get consensus um and you had a joke what was it i saw your face i my joke is i'm looking at all the material we still have left and the time we have left that's the joke i know i know no, i've got I, I i got this bro we got this um so you're not going to get consensus so you have to and consensus requires this common core values and da, da, da. and again he lays this argument out where i think he does such a good job of saying, hey, hey, here, he doesn't just say you ain't going to get this. He says, here's what I mean by that, that you have to have – here's the hierarchy of all values of all people in society in order to get consensus, and you have to line those up and come up with a plan that addresses all those. Ain't going to happen. And so as such, one of the ways you can deal with this is to delegate to bureaucracies, and the bureaucracies can come up with stuff. And so one of the – and there's, that's not inherently bad. If they have guardrails and they have an agreed upon end goal, but that's not what happens here. And so here's the footnote thing that he says here um, that I, uh, that I want to read this that addresses. And again, this is so, so relevant to today. Um, so you can take the word parliament out of this and substitute with Congress, you know, whatever um, parliament nowadays passes so many laws every year uh, that much of the details is so technical as to be unsuited for parliamentary, parliamentary discussion. Um, and he goes on to say, if parliament were not willing to delegate lawmaking power, parliament would be unable to pass the kind of quantity of legislation which public opinion requires. And so he goes on to say, many of the laws affect people's lives so closely that elasticity is essential. So the point is, is he's saying, look, Parliament's supposed to make laws. Who's in parliament? Back to the thing I said 10 minutes ago. Who's in parliament? Representatives of the population, right? So the people who represent certain chunks of the population are supposed to get together and make laws that are supposed to be uh, somewhat representative of a consensus 
of those populations. Okay. They're not going to get that. So they, they delegate to bureaucracies. They delegate to bureaucracies. Now those bureaucracies, so they might, uh, tell the bureaucracies what to do or vice versa. But the problem is, is they have to use this vague language because these are not, to what I mentioned earlier, they're not 50-50 issues. And this gets into people's lives at such a level, I think we mentioned this in one of the introductions, is that parliament is passing laws that like were unheard of 10 years ago, 20 years ago, right? I think we mentioned that in one of the, in the introduction video. One of the, um, the, the forwards says that. Hmm. Um, and so that elasticity is required. So they are going to delegate to these bureaucracies. And either way, whether it's a bureaucracy, telling parliament, or vice versa, they're passing laws that no one actually agrees upon. These are not 50-50 issues. Defund the police is not a 50-50 issue, right? It's just not. It's just not. And this is the thing that the Democrats do now is they don't have consensus on this stuff. Let's do a national ballot. Or national, no, not that I trust any type of voting nowadays, and I, I don't, I don't care. I'll say that. But let's do some type of thing where everyone, you can come out and vote on, you know, prop whatever thing. And this is a national thing. Who's going to vote defund the police, right? Like 25% of the population, you know? And so they have to accomplish all these things through mechanisms that do not involve consensus. The opposite of that is that it, this is coercion in other words, Right, coercion is we're going to force you to go along with us. Passing it without your input, even if it's passing it without a majority input, is coercion. And the other thing that he gets into there, like you said, that quote where he leaves it unanswered, um, is that the and Kevin and I were looking up the Dunmore Committee. This was a, some. I think this was one of these things where they were looking into the economy and what should happen with Great Britain in the wake of the Great Depression, because this is like 1929 to like 1931 or 32, something like that. Um, but but one of the things that they say in there, and that Lasky guy says, who was a socialist, loved <laughs> loved Stalin and Marxism, you know, as you mentioned. A big um, fan of Mao. A big fan of Mao, yeah. You know, semis all day thinking about Mao. And so the point is, <laughs> the point visual. is, that's <laughs> a visual, um, <laughs> Your imagination is wonderful. I don't even know so, a guy. Right. So, but the, but the point is, is that he, one of the things he says is that, and this is one of the things that I think deals with today, is we have to have safeguards for, let's say we as the, the, the labor population passes a bunch of laws, right? Does a bunch of stuff. And then the population says, we hate that. We're going to vote you out of power. That sucks ass. You do, you're not good at this. We're going to vote you out of power. He's saying, look, we need to have safeguards to make sure that whoever gets voted in power doesn't undo what we just did, which is another way of saying, look, an election is the thing that represents the will of the people. We did a bunch of things, and the will of the people, consensus, said we don't like that. We, don't, we do not like that. And so they vote in another party. The conservatives is what uh, Hayek uses. And he says, look, we have to have safeguards to make sure that they can't undo what we just did, which is another way of saying, ignore the will of the people. They mm. voted us out because they don't like what we did. But we need, and, and like you said, he leaves it unanswered. He leaves it unanswered. What do you do? We have, if, if some, and so I think part of that is you get rid of the elections, like you were mentioning earlier with, with, um, well, you suspend um, them. I get rid of them. You suspend yeah, you them. Suspend them or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's the thing we're into today, where you get rid of any procedure 
that actually reflects consensus and the will of the people. You get rid of that, whether it's the filibuster or you make it to where your shit is permanent. Social Security, who's going to get rid of that? How do you do that? Obamacare, what a nightmare, right? We came close. John McCain sucks. It is what it is. But, but the point is, is that these are things that once they are put into place, they are so difficult to get. I mean, it, they are tumors placed in, like you can't get them out of the, of the government. And that gets to the last part here when it comes to democracy, which I think we can end on that. Yeah, um, yeah I can fly through this uh, uh, democracy it. part, but basically the next argument advocates for planning is the democratic aspect. So when you hear democratic socialism, this is exactly what Hayek is talking about is the belief that so as long as democracy retains its ultimate control, the essentials of democracy are not affected. So he, he goes near and I'm going to paraphrase uh, the German psychologist or sociologist Karl Mannheim, where he basically says if democracy a true democracy or you know democracy as, as we have it that has limits on it can do all these different things why can't a a larger more or a, a larger system that can draw these different aspects of socialist system a collectivist system do the same thing uh as long as it's got democracy on it so really what he's saying is uh here's a governing body that has absolute control over the economy and even social life but it will not or cannot devolve into tyranny if you slap socialism in front of it, or if you slap democracy, uh, democracy yeah. in front of it yeah. uh because uh, if all the st- if if the state has control of everything but it's sanctioned by democracy it's sanctioned by the vote of the majority at any given time you know it can't be tyrannical you know does this work in theory kind of not really does it work in practice i mean we've seen it it does not work in practice and yep. you know hayek goes on to explain and i'll just read the, the highlighted part this uh, quote, the whole system would tend toward the plebiscitarian dictatorship in which the head of the government is from time to time confirmed in his position by popular vote, but where he has all the powers at his command to make certain that the vote will go in the direction he desires. So he is saying, mm-hmm. we're open there. Democracy grants the power to its leaders to reject the powers of democracy itself. This is how yep. democracy moves in dictatorship in one move. He goes to, to continue a quote, when it becomes... When it becomes dominated by a collectivist creed, democracy comes dominated by a collectivist creed, democracy will inevitably, inevitably destroy itself. Yep. This, this is what we were talking about. That it gives it gives the people who are democratically elected the means to destroy that democracy. It's what happened with Hitler. It's happened with plenty of different people. You know, you talk about Putin. You talk about uh, uh, the guy leading China right now. That is what happened. Xi Jinping. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so this is one of the things that – so, I mean, I mentioned this, and, and uh, you know, I, this is all I'm going to say about it, is um, I remember – so, like I said in the introduction in the first video we did is that this book rocked my world, and so I just called people that wanted to talk about it. And one of the people that calls my dad, who, as I mentioned before, my dad is someone who still thinks he's a Democrat, even though he would get ousted from any if he went there and said, here's what I think um, – the civil war was about economy. It's like, all right, my, my book, I helped my dad move all these books by help. I mean, I'd moved all these books, um, uh, for my dad and he has this whole library. It's all this stuff about the Confederacy. And I'm like, this is the hate section. <laughs> like my dad really thinks he's a Democrat. Um, anyway, but whenever one of the people I called was my dad, because my dad's older, you know, he's in his early seventies. And so he remember, you know, he was alive during a lot, like the, like, I guess the, main parts of the cold war you know was kind of his the decades of his you know early to middle life and so i called him to ask him about it and i talked about socialism because this is what hayek is talking about 
And, you know, my dad and I were the, the people who I told us, I said this multiple times, I used to think socialism was like roads and stuff because I had shit for brains before reading books and stuff. And when I called him about it, he made the same things. He's like, well, no, it's democratic socialism, Democrat. It's democratic socialism. Like it's the democratic people's Republic of Congo, right? It's the democratic, <laughs> you know, people's Republic of North Korea. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so. And so if it, it, it's got democracy in front of it, so it's, if it's democratic, you know, it's like shit sandwich, you know, it's, it's, it's a sandwich. It's just a sandwich. And so like, that's the thing that they were doing again. This is the prescience map it on today. People were like, well, if it has this, it's anti-racist, right? Black mm. lives matter, matter. Like they matter, you know? And so all of these things. And so it's this word game where if you put these words in it, it, it's another way of, I don't know if you watched um, the, the movie Super Size Me, the second one that Morgan Spurlock did. Second one. Um, it's, it's really good. So he goes into this thing where I, like, I forgot what his main goal was, but then the movie ends up being all about the chicken industry. And so, and he talks about these terms, like he calls them halo terms, like free range. Um, and so these, there's these halo terms in the food industry that make it to where people just assume it's good. Like free range is one of those. And mm -hmm. so- I think de democratic is one of those things. It's like a halo term that gets slapped onto a lot of these things that it just lowers your guard to whether or not it's good or not. And, 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 and it's just not how it actually works just because someone calls it like, okay, let's try this democratic Nazism, democratic racism, you know, democratic genocide, like pick a term. And tell me that if someone put democratic in front of it, you know, that it makes it necessarily good, right? And so democratic socialism is one of those things that I think that, that because they slap that on the front of it, and as Hayek mentions, maybe it actually was democratically achieved. Maybe they really did vote it in, like Putin, like Hitler, you know? When did Hitler win? Was that 32, maybe? 33? 33. Yeah, yeah and so – like maybe it was that, but just because it was democratically achieved doesn't mean anything. And that's why we don't live in a democracy, by the way, in the United States. Yeah, de democratic Nazism is garbage. Gluten-free Nazism, meh, you know. I'm all aboard. It's all aboard. Right? <laughs> I think it's another halo term. But uh, yes. so I'm going to get into to really how Hayek ends the chapter. I'm going to just go through all the bold sections here. But but yeah, his last two paragraphs are terrific. Uh, they so are. Quote, we have no intention, however, of making a fetish of democracy. It may well be true that our generation talks and thinks too much of democracy and too little of the values which it serves. Democracy mm. is essentially a means, a utilitarian device for safeguarding internal peace and individual freedom. Individual. True, individual freedom. And uh, to continue the quote, a true dictatorship of the proletariat or, or working class even if democratic in form, if it undertook centrally a, to direct the economic system would probably destroy personal freedom as completely as any autocracy ever has mm. done. So to go back to the, kind of the, the first point of um, fetishizing democracy, this reminded me a lot of when he said, uh, do not stick to the dogmatic, dogmatic laissez-faire attitudes. It's like you, if you're going to the extreme, you're doing it wrong. The reason we like democracy, the reason we like laissez-faire economics is because they're the best vehicle to maintain individual freedom but that does not mean that vehicle cannot go off the road it does not mean and, that that yeah no keep going no no i was just say and whenever to to marry this you know take a shot guys <laughs> to marry this uh consensus democracy in people's mind represents 
consensus. Democracy means most people think X. So in a democracy, whatever X is, is a thing that most people think and agree on. And so what Hayek is saying here is that's not, no, democracy is a way of achieving good things, but like liberty, I think is the, is what is a quote is it's the thing. Like, democracy is the thing you're aiming for. Um, but, or that you're using liberty is, is the final end goal of all of it. Liberty is freedom. Liberty is freedom. And so if, if you're using democracy as a, as a substitute mentally for like we we're saying earlier, defining liberty or not liberty, liberalism, or planning or whatever. Hey, when you hear this word, think this. I think most people hear democracy and they think consensus. And the problem with democratic socialism, you know, democracy in Congo or Korea or whatever, is it's not consensus. It's not. It's just not. And it, and it will not happen with these policies. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so then he really ends the the final chapter and I'll just go through, you know, a really small piece of it here, but he talks about arbitrary power um, and mm. that, that, the the source of of power is is not or, or is not the source but the limitation of power in which prevents it from yep. being arbitrary democratic control yep. may prevent the power from becoming arbitrary but it does not do so by its mere existence if democracy resolves on a task which necessarily in, involves the use of power which cannot be guided by fixed rules it must become arbitrary power that now fixed rules is what kind of moves us into chapter six. It's called planning and the rule yep. of law. But mm -hmm. really he talks about when, when power becomes arbitrary, meaning the power uh, is used without concern of law or specific reasoning, it will become tyrannical. Even if a majority of people should believe that this power ought to be used. Um, yep. Yeah. And if you don't have anything to add, to add to it, I also pulled a, a, a yep. I do. Yeah, go, go ahead. Big surprise here, right? Yes. Uh, you have something to say. No, no, I was just going to – I was going to say, right? I will not use the, the C word. Um, but but no, I think that quote is worth saying. It is not – or saying again, repeating. It is not the source – so to democratic socialism or whatever. It's not the source but the limitation of power that prevents it from being arbitrary. Hey, people at home, if you're still here, uh, when you hear arbitrary, think – Something that people just flying off the handle. That's what the United States re rebelled against. That's that's monarchies, right? So he's saying, look, the means by which power achieve power isn't the thing. Don't get hung up on that. It's what limits the way that it exercises that power. That's the thing to focus on. Okay. So in the United States, that's what the that's what the Constitution does, right? Uh, shall make no law, shall make no law, shall make no law, right? That's it. It's a limiting document for the government, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's freedom from, not freedom to. Mm -hmm. And so this is such a huge distinction here where there are these people who think that we have freedom to all these things and the government is supposed to give us freedom to things. But no, 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 no. It's not, it's not that. It's freedom from. And so limiting the power of government is what matters most. It's not how the government came to be. It's not where it got its power, whatever, democratic, whatever. It's how do you limit that power to keep it from becoming arbitrary, which another way of saying is it just does whatever the f it wants at any given moment, any given time, which is what planning necessitates, by the way. And I think we've hit on that before. Um, but but that that's the only thing I would add there is that quote of like, that's why the democratic socialism or democratic people's republic of dog shit, whatever, doesn't matter. 
is it's not how they gained power. It's what are the, the guardrails or the limits of that power that you have to focus on. That's 100%. The, I didn't 100%. use the word. Uh, <laughs> the C word, which is if you're hopping yeah. in now is different than what you think it is. Um, yeah. So there is a, a quote that I pulled that was kind of more toward the middle of the chapter, but I loved it because it perf- perfectly encompassed kind of a lot of what he talked about here, if not everything. Uh, but it's quote, Hitler did not have to destroy democracy. He merely took advantage of the decay of democracy and at a critical moment obtained the support of many whom, though they detested Hitler, he yet seemed the only man strong enough to get things done. He gained power using democracy. He then used those powers granted to him by democracy to destroy it. He used economic and social planning to systematically kill millions of his own people. He used the power of the mob to follow him into war. This didn't happen because they were German. This didn't happen because it was a nation full of ethno-nationalists. They weren't. It was this crazy guy. And this happened because they turned their back on true liberalism and traded in for collectivism. Yep. This is what happens with planning because this is a requirement of planning. And this is how you go down the road to to serfdom. Yeah. um, I mean, this is exactly right. There's not really anything to add to that. I think people get the point. Is that you? You can you can vote your way into into slavery. You know, Xi Jinping, they removed term limits, and I think it was the Soviet Union just a couple of years ago. They got rid of all the opposition to to Vladimir Putin. Um, which, by the way, this is why I don't. So, to bring it back to the Michael Malice thing that I was quoting more at the beginning, uh, this is why I don't think Michael Malice has the right answer. It's like, what do you do about China and Russia? Uh, here's some words. But but that's it. And so, but the point is, there are these places that people voted themselves into tyranny. Hitler was democratically elected, Reichstag fire, you know, and, and he was he wasn't even elected as the leader of Germany. He convinced I forgot who the leader of Germany was, yeah. convinced him to give give Hitler the power, be, be the vice chancellor or whatever it was. Um, and so, the fact that someone chose, you know, go to uh, Yao Min Park, right? And she mentions her. When she escaped North Korea, she became she was in in human trafficking, right? She was a sex slave. She chose to go into that. She chose to go into slavery, you know. And so that and that's that happened with early Christian missionaries who went to these islands where they you had to be a slave to get there. Where they said, "I'm going to voluntarily go into slavery." So the point is that because you chose a thing, or because you chose a person doesn't mean that you necessarily, one, know what you're choosing, or two, that you can, here's the thing, I, I think I mentioned being cliffed out and some other thing. Like, because you chose a thing doesn't mean you can unchoose it, right? So when you hear democracy, you think, I chose it so I can unchoose it. And that's not how this works. That's not how this ideology works. Um, you can't unchoose some things. You can't. Um, and this is a thing that once it's been chosen, it just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And grows. And it's like, it's like the, you know, the plant in Little Shop of Horrors, right? Like, holy shit, I keep feeding this thing. I'm done. You know, feed me, Seymour. Like, it's like, nope, can't, can't unfeed it. Can't, you know, unmake this. Um, and, and so, and that's how this ideology works is it only, it'll do whatever it needs to do, including deceive you, coerce you, propagandize you into you know, acquiescing to it so it can get power, but you can't unchoose it. You can't mm-hmm. unpick it. 
Yeah, totally agree. And a uh, perfect way to end the chapter because we kind of have to in a minute. But um, Shit, yeah, thank man, you for sorry. listening. No, no, no. You did great. Thank you for listening. If you haven't listened to the previous three episodes of this, go check it out. You know, if it's later and we have more episodes, at least go check it out. It's really, really awesome to listen. I know I have a ton of fun doing this. Actually, really excited. Like it's it's really late by me and I'm, a, I'm an old man. So I go to bed early. Uh, so I was super tired at the beginning. And now I'm like all riled up and like ready to talk about the next chapter. So uh, it kind of sucks, but is what it is. But uh, if you want to try uh, to support Truman, find more of his stuff, uh, check out return to reason.locals.com. Look for return to reason on YouTube, uh, medium, uh, Twitter. You're at, at my mundane mind, uh, think spot. I didn't mention that uh, return to reason. Um, and you can find them and support them on, on all those places. Did I miss anything there? Uh, my grinder, but it's a name that I don't feel comfortable saying on, on the here. That's fine. Yep. My grinder is engineering politique. It's got a little <laughs> accent there. So. Um, but you can find, you can find me and support me at engineeringpolitics.locals.com, engineering politics on YouTube, think spot, uh, medium, uh, and ENG underscore politics on Twitter. Yep. Can, can I point out, Hey, Kevin, do, do this. Put it up. There uh, it is. Yeah. Boy, Kevin just got married. He's got the wedding band on. So be sure yeah. to, you have to support him now. Do his yeah. wedding gift, right? I mean, go, all, go all of your support's going to go to my wife, but yeah. That's right. Hey, that's okay. That's okay. She's a victim of the patriarchy. So, you know, yes. um, bring, bring it home to Kevin's wife. Um, so congrats again to you, buddy. It's cool Appreciate seeing you with that, with that wedding band it's on. Weird. Man. Like I got the silicone one on now, but I, I wore the metal one for the first day and I never mm. had it on. I was fidgeting with it constantly. I take them off because whenever I'm like, I'm eating or something, I get food and stuff underneath of it. And so like, I literally grab my rings and wear them for videos um, because I, I often wear them out. out <laughs> taken no, ladies, taken ladies, still, <laughs> st still single on grinder, but you know, taken. Here. That's right. No, that's, that's a whole different thing. Um, yeah. So thanks again for watching, guys. We'll see you next time. This has been awesome. Um, Kevin, thanks again. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Peace. See ya.